Hello and welcome to Plot Trip. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem by Manda Collins. This is just published on November 10th, 2020 and is the first in the Lady's Guide series. So uh, before we begin, we just want to state that we received an advanced reader copy of this book for our review. Yes, and as always, our review is objective and was not influenced by receiving the book for free. So I, I do want to say that this is a it's a historical romance, but also historical mystery. So it sounds like it's right in our wheelhouse. You know, we love uh, Lady Sherlock. We love Elizabeth Peters. And then, of course, we love historical romance. Um, and so it was it was really fun to read from that perspective yeah um i want to talk about some parallels to some modern media so we really need to do the jacket first because before i start talking about brad pitt we need to get through that okay fine um i'll start england 1865 Newspaper colonist Lady Catherine Bascom finds herself the subject of speculation when her latest article leads to an arrest in the murders plaguing London. The English believe women ought not to write about such vulgar things as crime, and a particularly attractive detective inspector is incensed that she's interfered with his investigation. To escape her sudden notoriety, Catherine heads to the country, only to witness a murder upon her arrival. Detective Inspector Andrew Eversham is appalled when Lady Catherine entangles herself in one of his cases. Again. Her sensationalist reporting already nearly got him kicked off the police force, and he'll be damned if he permits her to meddle a second time. Yet her questions are all awfully insightful, and he can't deny his attraction to both her beauty and brains. As the clues point to a dangerous criminal... The two soon realize their best option is working together. But with their focus on the killer lurking in the shadows, neither is prepared for the other risk the case poses to their hearts. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, I would say this one is factually inaccurate, but spiritually correct. I agree. I agree. So I have very few problems with this jacket, actually. Yeah, like, she doesn't actually flee to the country to escape her sudden notoriety. Mm -mm. Um, she's not just a columnist. She actually owns the newspaper. Yes. She, he's not incensed that she's interfered with his investigation. He's pissed off because um, an innocent man is framed, basically, based mm -hmm. on her article. And he gets kicked off the case. Right. So it's also as clues point to a dangerous criminal, there's a serial killer who's killed six people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so much clues as there is a serial killer rampaging London. There's a serial there's a serial killer out there and now he's he's not just in London, now he's in the country. And also he's following Lady Catherine around. So to me, if I were this detective inspector, I'd be like, What did you do, lady? <laughs> For real. So, as usual, uh, we wrote our own summaries to try to get at different things in the jacket. And this week, our random number out of 50 was 48. So, we have some nice, long summaries for you. And actually, I think mine almost echoes the jacket, which is funny because I had not read it before reading. I had not read the jacket before writing this. But, so my summary, 
widowed newspaper owner takes the investigation of a serial killer rampaging London into her own hands, which results in exposing the incompetence of Scotland Yard. As a result, the police investigator in charge is fired, and the resulting sparks he feels for her aren't just those of anger. Ooh. I like how you, I like the emphasis you put. The newspaper owner, <laughs> hello. Yeah. Like, no need to sell her short. Well, here's my 48-word summary. What to do when you inadvertently ruin the standing of a decent and hot Scotland Yard investigator with your well-researched journalism? Rehabilitate his reputation, help him solve a murder, and raise his consciousness so you can destroy the patriarchy together. Also, make sure to evaluate his bedroom skills. Very good summary. I would just like to say that while... Eversham is appealing in many ways as a romantic hero. He actually never gets on board with destroying the patriarchy. I know, but she's trying to raise his consciousness. He just disappointed me a little bit. <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> That's totally fair. Um, so I, I think you can gather from all three of these jackets or all three of these summaries that the major trope here is enemies to lovers. Yeah, but I would also like to highlight another major trope, which is lady journalist, because mm -hmm. we have seen so many. And honestly, lady newspaper owner at a certain point is also becoming lady newspaper common. owner. That's true. <gasps> You're right. I was like, what is really she talking about? Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> and a couple of the Christmas novellas we've read. Yeah. Well, Christmas novella. Well, she owned a factory and she was being interviewed. Oh. Um, so it's opposite, but yes, I, I, Dear Lady True Love, definitely. Dear Lady True Love, definitely. So, um, they do go to a house party. They do go to a house party. I do like that. It's Although, not a sexy house party, though. It's not a sexy house party, and then the only reason he goes to the house party is because there's a murder there. So, he, like, crashes the house party true but that happens a lot too we're like somebody yeah. sneaks in isn't meant to be there I'm, I'm calling that one trope that's fine that's fine and they they solve a crime together which is not it's not necessarily a romance trope but i'll i would definitely say that it's the the romance the historical mystery trope yeah uh, the house where the house party occurs and ends up being sort of the set for 50% of the book was lost in a gambling match mm -hmm. and the complications that were created over inheritance end up being relevant to the mystery. Mm -hmm. And she won't marry again because her first marriage was so awful. Correct. So. Okay. Can I delve into something I was disappointed in? Yes. I felt like the characterization of her widowhood was inconsistent. Okay. Like, so the house party they go to, the house is owned by one of her, like, bestie childhood friends who's, like, a brother to her, not a rival, and that is a trope that happens, like, nine times in this book, to the point that they get in a fight over her honor, can't even. But he makes some comments to her early in the book about the string of paramours she's had. Mm -hmm. And she both says to him in internal monologues to him, about how her behavior would be judged as compared to a man's, even as a widow, and sort of implies that there has been a string of lovers. Mm -hmm. And I was actually really excited about that. I was like, way too often we see widows who are discreet and only take a few lovers, or 
widows who, in spite of their terrible marriage, have only ever slept with their husbands. Mm -hmm. And I was excited to have a character who was just like, I went out and I got some. I'm a widow and I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. And then like 70% in when she and Evesham finally hook up, she thinks about the last man she was with was shortly after her husband's death, basically implying that her saying to Val about the men on her arm weren't, weren't actually men she took to bed. Right. Yep. And so, like one, I thought that was a little bit disingenuous how it was presented first, if they actually mm -hmm. didn't sleep together. And two, I was really disappointed to see another widow from a terrible marriage who's only taken a few lovers and they were terrible. Yeah. I will say I did like, <laughs> I honestly did like how she was like, well, I chose this lover and unfortunately he wasn't as good as I expected him to be despite his good lucks. And she's like, Probably because of his good looks. So I thought that was actually kind of funny. <laughs> no, that was funny. And, like, we also had the trope that is not a romance trope. It's an everything trope of he's the biggest guy she's ever been with. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, I'm a not, little sick of it, to be honest. But whatever. No, but I'm not saying I didn't have fun with parts of it. Oh, I mean, look, I'm sick of it. And I also think it's fun. At the same time. Right. I'm just saying I really thought for like half the book, one of my favorite things about the book was that she was a widow who went out and got some, was totally discreet and didn't feel the need to think about it or dwell on it all the time. Other than sort of thinking about how unfair it was that she even had to be discreet because of society's double standard. Yeah. And then for the end to be like, no, she's actually just been very discerning. I was like, okay, so she's another discerning widow. Sounds good. Yeah, 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 whatever. Oh, this mystery reminded me of seven have you seen oh, seven i was like i don't understand this note <laughs> this is my note so the serial killer in yeah. the book is pinning the ten commandments to his victims that is correct that they are victims and i was immediately reminded of seven mm. And was sort of disappointed that the Ten Commandments ended up sort of being so arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure. There's a guy who's killed and I, thou shall not bear false witness was pinned to him. And, like, I, I still don't understand why. I mean, I don't, I remember some of them, but I don't remember all of them. But, yeah, like, one woman was, the false witness that they were gossiping or something. No, so one of them, there was a couple in the beginning that were mm -hmm. um, explained, like the woman who didn't go to church had that yeah. thou shall on her, Right. but some of them never were, and they were the ones that were actually central to the mystery, and like you never really figure out how it connects. Oh, those? So, like, yeah, yeah. It was fine. Like, I'm not, that's not a criticism of this book. It's just the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking, God, Seven did this in such a great way. I want to mm -hmm. watch Seven. <laughs> So if you, um, you know, want to be reminded of a sexy Brad Pitt and a decapitated Gwyneth Paltrow, read this book. Yeah, I mean, one of those things I would like to be reminded of. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will say that I liked her prose. I thought she was very straightforward. There was nothing like super florid. Um, so it was easy to read, I thought, which I liked. And I thought her period details were pretty on point. There was not a time where I was like, oh, courtesy title was wrong. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of tropes that I, I sort of take for granted and just assume to be true 
I did enjoy seeing written out here. Yeah. Like the differences in like stratification within the staff mm-hmm. and the types of people who would go to a lowbrow house party. Mm-hmm. Like I-, I thought a lot of that stuff that sort of gets taken for granted in a lot of romance novels was handled well here and not in a way that felt expositiony. No, it didn't feel expositiony. I mean, there's a there's a big emphasis placed on Catherine or Kate that she's not a snob, right? Yes. And I feel like it's actually plays out really well. And you, even though it's mentioned several times, <clears throat> it doesn't feel like too heavy handed, at least to yeah. me. And it also went far for me again in explaining why she was so attracted to Evesham. And I also think it did a good job of not making her perfect about it. Mm-hmm. She makes a, a funny comment about the clergy unintentionally and then remembers Evesham's father was a vicar. Mm-hmm. Well, and so like she apologizes and she handles it well. And it's not like it was a rude comment directed at him. Mm-hmm. But just kind of she made a comment that she realized reeked of classism. Yes. In front of somebody of that class. Yes. There, there's that. But I think also, so they say she's not a snob, but she's also working really hard on not being a snob, right? She was mm-hmm. raised to really respect these class differences. And I think you're right. There are moments where she makes a misstep and then she apologizes. She takes a step back and she's like, look, didn't mean it that way. I'm still working on myself. I don't know. I just yeah. think it's really nice that this is this is a character who recognizes her own privilege and recognizes that she's working on it, but doesn't think that she's like reached maximal potential, you know? Exactly. No, definitely. And I really appreciated that about her. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, I personally, I don't know about Lane, but I am a total sucker for a straight cop in an, a corrupt institution. I mean, this this may be because of Errol Vortos again. <laughs> this may be because of other formative reading experiences in my life. But I just love the the man or, or the woman, the the person who doesn't really can't really understand that there are corrupt people in their you know, in their job, because they themselves are so honorable. There's this huge emphasis on honor, but not in the, not in the superficial way. Yeah, I, I, if there's one thing I would have wanted this book to continue for, because obviously it ends with a happily ever after. Evesham, in the beginning of the book, is forced to confront how corrupt the institution is. Mm-hmm. That it's not just corrupt individuals, it's the institution as a whole. Mm-hmm. And he says to himself at several points in this book that he needed to get through this investigation to process that for himself. Yes. And because the point of this book is wrapping up the happily ever after, that processing sort of never takes place. Like, I actually don't know upon finishing this book if I think Evesham stays a cop. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. And so... I, I wish there'd just been a smidge more of that contemplation because I really, I, same, I liked him being the good egg in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he recognized it. And I get that that's not the sort of thing that you just like poof, understand how you're going to handle immediately, especially when like 
saving lives and catching a killer is your first priority. But I yeah. really, really would have loved to kind of have a little bit of his internal monologue about processing that following the end of the investigation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the first thing he does when they find the, the real killer is to call Scotland and get the person who was falsely imprisoned released. So it's right. the first thing he does. And he does say, like, okay, now I'm going to go and take on these two corrupt people who, you know, did this and or, you know, whatever. But you don't you don't see it happen and you don't know what, how he's planning on doing that. So. Well, and the cynic in me wants to say, like, clearly the institution doesn't get fixed. Mm hmm. And I don't necessarily view him as a character who would have been OK with that. Right. Like, I, I think if I had to guess, I think he walks away. Eventually. I, I'm wondering, yeah, I wonder, does he walk away or does he, does he like work with, with Kate? She's a, she's a newspaper owner. So is she, is he like, let's do a series of articles about corruption in the police force? <laughs> yeah. Does he end up being, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just does he try to walk from the inside? I, I I could I could see it anyway. I am interested to know what goes on, um, how he's going to do it because look, he one of the issues with being like the the straight cop in the corrupt force is also that it does mean you're you might be slightly conventional in other ways. True. Okay. And by that, I mean, his major flaw in this book is that he does not, he does not treat Kate as an equal partner in the investigation. No, and he promises to. Mm -hmm. And then as the investigation progresses, rather than begin to see her as less of an obstacle. He just gets more and more obstinate that he's going to go without her and more and more resigned when she inserts herself anyway. Yeah. He, and like his motivation changes when you're in his head from yeah. keeping the meddling women out of his affairs to protecting her. Right. But I still didn't appreciate it either way. Yeah. It would have been nice if at least by the very, very end, like the last part of the investigation, he was like, okay, come with me. You're my partner, you know? But mm -hmm. they don't. But they don't. So that no one of the if there had just been one final little come with me partner, I would have been like, yes, that he he's his consciousness has been raised. <laughs> but I mean, like, I suppose you're supposed to take the shift in his internal monologue as progress. Right. But. I wanted him to um, be a vanguard for progressive politics by the end no, of this book. No, exactly. And I mean, I did. I did take it as progress when you're in his internal monologue. And then he and Kate, they're, they're talking about it, you know, and, and their discussions do appear to me to be some kind of progress. But it would have been nice to have more. Yeah. Also, I will point, I do want to point this out because I didn't realize until I read it for, for a closer read for the, for this podcast, actually. But so romances have a very compressed timeline. We all know this. This romance happens in three days. 
What? Yep. Wait. Three days. Yeah. I think uh, in my head I was counting from when he pulls her out of the crowd. Yeah. If and you want to count from... before. But they meet for like 15 minutes. And then they don't interact again until the beginning of him showing up at the house party. And that's uh-huh. three days. Okay. Yeah. The house party. He's at the house party for three days. And in those three days, their feelings go from like total enmity to I love you so much. I'm going to give up my <laughs> deepest health principles. Uh, also, spoiler alert, it's a near-death, and trope alert, it's a near-death experience. That's right. That changes her mind. And his mind, too, but yes. Her mind, especially. No, his mind's already changed before it. Okay, fair. That's fine. That's when he, his mind is, I love you and I want to be with you, and I thought we were getting married, and then he's like, I mean, I just want to be with you whether we're married or not, and she changes her mind from marriage is a corrupt institution and I don't want to be a part of it to, yes, I'll marry you, I can't live without you. He doesn't really change, he just, like, is willing to stop fighting her. Yeah. But, I don't know, I I like, I did like that, look, I don't want to be like, both of them learned a lesson. Right. <laughs> but I I do like that they both had to compromise a little bit. Although I mean her compromise is basically fact based journalism has consequences and she had to live with it. I didn't quite understand what was being said about the detective profession. Mm-hmm. Because there were times where, like, she was clearly an inept questioner but did not realize it. And I'm not even sure if the author wanted me to think she was. And then there were times that he points out that she was, like, rifling through papers at a crime scene like an experienced cop. Yeah. And he makes a really big deal out of not jumping to conclusions. And spoiler alert, the solving of the murder is just one giant conclusion drum, which is fine, I guess. But it's, so it's I, fine. I, I it, didn't honestly, I, I understand yeah. what I was supposed to believe about her, like efficacy as a detective. Honestly, the conclusion jump, if at the very end he had, because he, he puts this huge emphasis on, look, we have to do our due diligence, do all our research, do all the background, make sure it's all in place. We can't jump to conclusions. If at the very end he was like, look, I know all along I've said we can't jump to conclusions, but sometimes you just got to do it. I think both of us would have been like, all right, I like it, you know, do the background research, but then, you know, you have to leave room for intuition. I think we would have been like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's fine. You know? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But, oh, well, I I would say this is okay. So I would say this is slightly more of a romance. Excuse me. I would say this is slightly more of a mystery than a romance but that the romance succeeds more than the mystery does. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I would call it more of a mystery than a romance. I think they were pretty evenly split for me. Okay. But I agree that the, the romance succeeded more than the mystery did. I, I think we both liked the romance a lot. I mean, to a degree... Like, I would not bet that the rest of the novels in this series are mystery novels. Hmm. I think it was a product of his profession. Yeah. More than anything else, that the mystery had to be, like, incorporated front and center. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to see about that. Interesting. Interesting, Lane. 
Well, the next one's clearly about Val and Caro, and I, neither of them would have a reason to be investigating anything by themselves. I mean, they will have by the time we get there. They, but I'm saying I don't think it'll be a mystery novel. I don't think there'll be an investigation. All right, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. She writes cookbooks, and he writes biographies of boxers. They're going to solve the mystery together. Also, like, half the characters in this book were writers of some kind. There were a lot of writers. Genevieve was a writer, too. Yep. Yeah. And a poet was at the central, uh, the center of the mystery? Yes, a poet was, too. I Look, I will say that this book reminded me a lot of The Truth About Love and Dukes, partly because of what Lane said about the newspaper owner, but yep. also partly because of the... There's a whole conflict in that book that is is very similar to this one. And I mean, look, it's historically accurate, so I can't blame them for having the same conflict. But that conflict is basically that she says, why would I want to get married? My husband would have control of all of my assets. I mean, right. I would be an asset. I would be a, a, one of his goods that he owns. And... Andrew says, well, I would never take your money or stop you from writing impartial journalism, which is, spoiler alert, just what the Duke says in the love about, the truth about love and Dukes. Mm-hmm. says the same thing. And she says, look, I know you wouldn't, but the fact is you could. And right. that is the issue here. In both books, I mean, both books are romances. So both, both, uh, both newspaper owners end up with the guy and married in the end anyway. But I just want to say, this reminded me of that. I, I love, uh, basically, I love that book. So I like it a lot. Yeah, any comparison to that is always favorable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did did anything about this book offend or bother you? I mean, I would say there are some content warnings. So there, I mean, there are, the book is about serial killers. So there's some violence and gore. Not a lot, but there's some. Less than I thought there'd be. Yeah, to be honest. Agreed. Less than I thought there would be, which I personally have no problem with. If you don't want to like go into detail about the gory scene, I am fine with that. They, so as Lane mentioned, she was actually I don't know if we mentioned this. Her marriage was unhappy, but it also had some elements of domestic violence or, or relationship violence. She says that he was not physically abusive, but he was controlling, like so controlling that he she could only leave the house in his presence. Uh, she had to cut off all of her friendships with anyone. Um, so she hadn't she hadn't seen Val in like five years, I think. I thought it was really interesting that there were three or four different relationships with a 20 year age gap presented mm-hmm. in this book. Mm-hmm. And all of them were different kinds of unhappy. Yeah. Yes. I personally, I mean, you know my thoughts on age gap, which is that I don't love it. So I don't have any problems with that. (laughs) You don't love it when the woman's younger. I don't love it when the woman's younger. I have never read a 20-year age gap where the woman is older. Not 20 years, yeah. Yeah. Look, give me eight years, 10 years, I, fine, you know. But more than that, 
Especially when one of the people is in their 20s. Like, I guess if I was reading a romance novel about someone in their 60s and someone in their 40s, I wouldn't really care. But I probably... (laughs) I think I did read one like that. Actually, I think there's an Elizabeth Boyle where there's a dowager countess and she's a dowager countess and then the the new countess's father falls in love with the dowager countess but the dowager countess was not the mother of her husband it was anyway i think that happens in a book okay i mean i'm just saying i'm down for that yeah i liked it in that book i actually was fine with it come to think because she was an adult yes she was an adult but yeah, so it, it, there's definitely the other 20 year age gaps aren't abusive, but they aren't great. Yeah. Um, one ends up abandoned and the other ends up basically constantly plagued by jealousy. Yes. So I just thought it was an interesting and subtle commentary. Interesting actually. and subtle commentary. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um the, uh, sorry, the Elizabeth Boyle is called Lord Langley is back in town, in case you want to look it up, guys. Is the 60-year-old man Lord Langley? Yes, he is. Look at me go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, okay. Otherwise, I don't think anything offended me about this book. I mean, it's topical in that you're talking about a corrupt police force. It's topical in that you're talking about women's rights and the suppression of those rights. In his the course of his investigations as a police officer, Henry has seen some dark stuff, and some of it is described, including like a pastor who was keeping his wife prisoner. Like there's, mm-hmm. but no, I wouldn't call it offensiveness. I would just call it a whole bunch of like content and trigger warnings. Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't offended. I I might have wished that Andrew had gone a little bit further in his acceptance of Catherine and of her agency, but yes, uh, it's not offensive. Okay, how sexy was it? It, Look, it was not super sexy. What is written is sexy. I found it quite sexy. Um, I will say it was slightly annoying because the the sex scene was uh, after a fight. They had a big fight, and then they didn't resolve the fight. They just started kissing. So was their makeout. They thought about her being there, then they were quiet for a while, then she hurt herself and they started making out. Yeah, 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 she hurt herself. But it wasn't it wasn't like they ended the fight with the makeout. No, but there was a, there was an interaction argument. starting in anger. There was not like a sexy scene where they were on the same page. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought they were sexy. That said, that's all we get. We get one makeout and one sex scene. And then just everything after that is fades to black, which you know how we feel about that. Look. They were they were in a private train carriage together where they literally literally said they were going to practice being husband and wife because that was their cover story. And they wanted to make sure it was authentic. So um, I need to know how that went down. Yes. And here is why we talk a lot about how sex can be used to like strengthen a relationship. The two previous instances of physical intimacy were them fighting. Mm-hmm. Then a weird fade to black in the library where she, like, offers him a seat next to her and they snuggle. Mm-hmm. And so having a sex scene that he initiates on the page 
following the first instance where he doesn't fight her when she mm -hmm. attempts to accompany him on an investigation yes. would have been evidence of character growth that we're complaining he never had. Like yeah. he never really saw his enthusiastic consent to her autonomy. Yeah. Which is ridiculous that this is what we're asking for. But like, honestly, one, while train sex would have been very fun to read. It also would have been really indicative of his character growth. And we never really got it. Yeah. Yeah. Because this whole, I mean, not only is it character growth, it's also a different side of him. It's the, the funny side, the, the side that's willing to be entertained and to be humorous, which mm -hmm. they, which they say she brings out in him, but we don't see very much of. True. Especially because he like doesn't have friends or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have friends. That weird sad. line about how like, He's too othered to be accepted. Mm -hmm. I don't really know that I was sold on that. Yeah. If they had said he was married to his job. Yeah. I would have gotten that more. Yeah. I know this is a podcast called Plot Trist, And I know that we have a whole section on sexiness. And you know that our stance on sexiness is usually the more the better. That said, I, I think it does further the character development and the plot in a lot of the novels that we're looking at. So we're, we're not just looking at it because we want like a sexy read. We also want, which we do, which we do, but we want a relationship that is furthered by the sexy times. Yes. And yeah, if they had had it, we've there. been complaining in some Julia Quinn's lately that the sex just feels random and tacked on in the end and the books would have been better off without it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the whole, I guess the whole idea of the sex scene, I read something somewhere that like erotica is, is written for the sex, right? It's written just to be sexy. It's a what one-handed read, they say, right? Oh, I've never heard that expression before, but it is my favorite thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, that's the definition of erotica. Whereas like a romance, an erotic romance, it, the sex scenes are there to serve some purpose. They further the plot. They further the character development. They further, you know, the conflict. They should be there for a reason. And they can be used really effectively. Yeah, and this one, I feel like the sex scenes that existed were used for a reason. But then if you're going to use sex as a means of them resolving their conflict or ignoring their conflict... I then want to see sex used as a way of them actually making progress with one another. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I think we're supposed to take it as it, it that's what they were doing, you know, mm -hmm. but again, we just wanted to see it. Yes, exactly. First of all, yes. Second of all, I did not know why that cover was usable. Here is why they are both, sort of well-known. He was the lead investigator on, like, the most infamous murder case that London had seen in years. And she's a widowed woman who took over a newspaper and it was initially resisted. And she's just published the biggest expose on said crime. They use his real name when they're pretending to be husband and wife and real profession. It would have been very easy for anyone to figure out they were lying, as proven when they get back to town 
and there's someone claiming to be his wife and everyone's just like, but he's not married. Come on. Like you literally proved why your cover was bad in the same chapter. I don't care if the cover is bad, if it got me some making out. Exactly. But it didn't. If you want me to look past that plot inconsistency, I need some deeds. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the social contract. And this is, this is, you're right. This is the social contract of the romance novel and fell through a little bit for us here, Amanda. If you want me to just laugh away some ridiculous stuff, you better provide the details. And then after they solve the mystery and they're having, they're decided to share and he's proposed and she said, yes, they sleep in the same bedroom and like literally, Come to bed, she reached out her hand to him, and though he'd meant to let her rest, once Evesham slid between the sheets that had been warmed by her body, he couldn't have kept from pulling her to him if his life had depended on it. Later, as they were lying entwined, uh-uh, that's not how you do it. Rude. <laughs> Extremely rude. <laughs> rude. But, I mean, uh, oh, I would say this was, this was enjoyable was an enjoyable it book did. and it did certain things that I've seen a lot well like for, uh, I've complained in a couple of house party books we've read that a lot of the miscellaneous house gets are sort of indistinguishable yeah and I thought she did a great job of of keeping them distinct and relevant they didn't feel yeah. like they were taking up air on the page yes I agree uh, I agree so there's a lot there's a lot of good here there's a lot of good. I think I'll definitely read the next in the series whenever it's published, just to see if it's a mystery or not. <laughs> to see if you can, if my guess stands true. true. I wouldn't. I'm just saying, I don't think you can call this more of a mystery than a romance if the rest of the series is not a mystery. Well, I mean, that's a very good point, but we just don't know yet because this is the first in a series. Okay, that's fine. So I'm making my prediction and you can make yours. All right. Well, we'll have to see what happens next year. We'll report back. Whenever Amanda Collins publishes the next one about Caro and Val. Uh, do you love the name Valentine for a man? I wouldn't do it like today. I wouldn't name my son Valentine. But for some reason, I love reading romances where the guy's name is Valentine. I think because it's really literal. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think you enjoy the literal sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Never thought about it, Meg. Like, no opinion. Don't know what to tell you. I, like, unless somebody's name is truly bonkers. Oh, my God. Like, that guy whose name was short for Ebenezer. Oh, yeah. Eben? Eben? Yeah. Unless it's, unless it's like, not a name, I'm not going to notice. I notice when this guy's name is Valentine. I can think of a couple. Uh, isn't there somebody in a white named Valentine who you hate? Yeah, I hate him. But I like his name, though. Okay. So. I hate his book. I hate his book, but I like his character in other books. Oh, so like Westcliff. Yes, very much like Westcliff, actually. She read his name as a Valentine Westcliff. Okay, that's great. We've, we've officially gone off the rails here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>